0: Good morning. Once again, my name is Natalie Cole from the marketing team at Dickerson Insurance Services. We're very happy you can join us for today's webinar titled The Future of Health Reimbursement Arrangements. Next slide, please. Welcome. Um, actually, okay. Uh, today's course, of course, is titled, The Future of Health Reimbursement Arrangements and has been approved by the California Department of Insurance for one credit hour. Our CE presentations are recorded and copies of both the recording and the slide deck are available for your download. I will also send them to you within the next 24 to 48 hours. So please keep an eye on that. It will come directly from me. My name is Natalie Cole once again. We report CE credits to the Department of Insurance within two working days of this presentation. We have also been instructed to ask polling questions throughout the presentation. In order to receive CE credit, you must answer all of the polling questions. There's three polling questions in total. And it is recommended that you actually answer them, that you are participating in this presentation on a computer screen um, to answer the poll questions. And of course, we welcome your own personal questions. If you have them, please type them in the in the chat box in the bottom right-hand corner of your screen, and we will answer them at the conclusion of this presentation. Now, today's presenter is Mr. David Fear Sr. He's a 42-year veteran of the employee benefits industry, and he specializes in alternative funding, flexible benefits, and group purchasing arrangements. He is also the managing partner of Shepler and Fear, which is a division of Dickerson Insurance Services and Aller Group Company. He is also the past president of the National and California Associations of Health Underwriters. And he also received the Nahu Harold R. Gordon Award as the Health Insurance Person of the Year in 2000. I'm sorry, in 2015. Mr. David, your senior, how are you this morning?
1: Uh-
2: I am great, thank you uh, for that introduction, Natalie. And I hope everybody out there in uh, the virtual world is fine and good and uh, we'll get started here. Uh, We have a a fairly large uh, contingent of uh, folks attending today's course, so I'll try to move along really well. And there will be uh, some parts in here that you you probably wanna take a few notes on. However, uh, again, I would encourage you that uh, you download a copy of this uh, afterwards so that uh, your your notes can be um, uh, fairly complete. Um, Before we we get moving ahead, I just want to acknowledge uh, we have five co-sponsors today. Uh, These are all third-party administrators that we work with uh, who uh, are involved in uh, health reimbursement arrangements, uh, uh, benefit and risk management services out of Folsom, California. Uh, Employee benefits administration and management out of Orange County, uh, Navia Bene- Benefit Solutions out of uh, Fresno, uh, Sterling Administrators out of Oakland, and our one of our longtime partners, StarMark, a Trustmark company uh, out of Chicago, Illinois. And uh, these are five firms that we've uh, uh, worked with for for some time, and uh, we encourage uh, that if you have specific needs with regard to third-party administrative services, you contact us to uh, get you uh, in, in touch with them. So, with that said, let me uh, move ahead here. And I think that the first question that a lot of people bring up these days are, why are we, why are we talking about HRAs? And, and, and that's a fair question, and it's one that I think needs to be addressed uh, head-on because uh, we know this. Um, if you look at the, the economic situation in the United States between 2010 and 2020 the last the last 10 years we we saw an inflation rate of about 19% about what 1.9% a year we saw an increase in in workers earnings of of 27% which is again 2.7% a year but we saw an increase in in health insurance premium rates of 55% and then What's even more uh, important is that, that we saw an 111% increase in health plan deductibles. Um, and that's, uh, that's made a lot of employees pretty unhappy about the benefit reductions, having a higher deductible, and, and then how much they have to pay out of their pocket for coverage. Obviously, increasing deductibles uh, increases their uh, out-of-pocket cost and increased premiums has a tendency to uh, uh, reduce their take-home pay. Um, and, and of course, so you know, employees aren't happy about that. And at the same time, employers are fairly unhappy because they're not, they're not uh, too excited about the cost increases they're getting each year um, or their inability, uh, unfortunately, to attract and retain good workers because their health benefit costs are, are exploding in, uh, to an uncontrollable level. And so uh, it's it's natural that the employer community is saying to uh, you know their broker, uh, you better you better show me some solutions to this because we, we can't take this much longer. So you you, you kind of need to think about it this way. Um, nearly every health insurer and health plan now offers what we call high deductible health plans that can be used for either a health savings account uh, arrangement or a health reimbursement arrangement, an HSA or an HRA. Um, As most of you know, the ACA forced small group carriers to develop rates based on clear actuarial values of their product, and and I don't think a lot of brokers and certainly a lot of employers really understand this, but, but by requiring the carriers to do this and then forcing them to price their products based on this actuarial value, it actually Provided uh, brokers and their clients with a better opportunity to really look at um, risk assumption in a different way. What we see today is that the price difference between a, a high and a low actuarial value product has been fairly steady since 2014, anywhere between 25 and 50%. I mean, I, and I'm talking about specifically, you know, you compare the cost of a bronze plan to the cost of a platinum plan, depending on the carrier and depending on the area that they're in, we're we're still seeing a 25 to 50% price difference uh, uh, for the last 10 years or the last seven years since this new pricing structure went into effect. And this is, of course, in the small group market. Um, Nearly all of the group carriers in the market no longer have a prohibition against wrapping their plans with an HRA or an FSA type program. There was a big question for a long time about whether or not that was, that was even legal. Uh, that, that prohibition is, is pretty well gone away. Um, small employers, they see what large employers do to contain their benefit costs, and they're asking their advisors, their agents, their brokers to find them similar options. Um, I like to say that if you've seen one HRA You've only seen one HRA. Not, you know, HRAs uh, differ by by plan design, by size, shape. Uh, it's it's a it's a, a very broad um, array of, of the way HRAs are designed, and we'll talk more about that in a, in a few minutes. And then and then what we clearly see is that employers' tolerance for taking more risk has increased proportionately. To the premiums that they're now paying for health insurance coverage. You know, ten years ago, if you'd talk to an employer about, you know, putting in a high deductible plan versus a a, a traditional plan, they'd say, well, you know, let me let me, how much premium am I going to save? Am I is there really enough savings there to justify doing that? Well, that uh, that question's clearly been answered today because, as you'll see. Um, the premium differences have become substantial and appear to stay that way. So there's more interest than ever before uh, to take some risk in exchange for saving money and providing better benefits that the employees will end up appreciating better. So very quickly, a little history about HRAs. Prior to 2006, uh, the IRS Code Section 105 um, kind of was the was the law of the land with regard to these types of plans. They they were referred to uh, in in the 80s and the 90s as as partial self-funded plans or wrap plans, and uh, the basis by which they uh, were uh, allowed to exist were uh, as a result of uh, Code Section 105. In 2006, though, the IRS clarified and expanded both Code Sections 105 and 106 so that they they came to the table with, with some more rules and regulations with regard to how these plans could be established and what they what they could cover. And you saw a, a big influx of HRA plans following those uh, clarifications in 2006. And then <clears throat> between 2000, <coughs> pardon me, between 2009 and 2016, the Affordable Care Act came into to play, and um, and and it had an effect on what I would call group HRAs. It made big changes to what group HRAs could and couldn't do, and this uh, was a result of the fact that the law now says that a, a plan has to have a minimum value um, of of at least um, you know sixty percent of an actuarial value, uh, and and then there were other. Uh, issues related to this, and and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second, but um, the Affordable Care Act did have uh, an impact on these HRAs. I will also say that the Affordable Care Act did not necessarily uh, try to discourage uh, HRAs. In fact, I think, if anything, there are some things that you can see in in the law that actually encouraged employers to keep doing this. And I think that was a result of the fact that large employers who've been doing HRAs for many years really lobbied hard uh, to Congress and the administration that, hey, we we don't want our plans to be screwed up here by you politicians. We we want to be able to continue to offer free market benefits. And so uh, I think um, I think that uh, forced uh, the politicians to, you know, hey, let's go easy on on these HRAs. In 2017, we saw the introduction of of a new type of HRA called a uh, a Qualified Small Employer HRA. We'll talk more about that in a minute. That was actually one of the last uh, things that President Obama signed into law uh, before he left office, and uh, those types of plans went into effect in 2017. And then between 2018 and 2020, uh, we saw the introduction of two new types of HRAs, the ICHRAs, uh, Individual Coverage HRAs, and the EBHRAs, Accepted Benefit HRAs. And we'll talk more about all four of these uh, HRAs in just in just a minute. Um, again, today, and, and remember this, uh, this may be a polling question uh, today, uh, HRAs are governed under federal law, okay? Not by state law, but by federal law. And so you have the four types of HRAs in the market today, the group HRAs, which also can be referred to as a MERP or a Medical Expense Reimbursement Plan, and and we'll talk about what the difference is between a group HRA and a MERP in a minute. Um, These group HRAs, again, have been around for decades. Uh, They were formally recognized after the 2006 IRS code changes. They were affected, as I said, by the Affordable Care Act which required that an HRA had to be tied to a high deductible health plan and provide minimum value coverage. And all that is is apparent today. Um, The IRS released a series of regulations between 2013 and 16, which clarified how these HRAs could be established or used by employers of any size, but they still had to meet a a new uh, non-discrimination rule that was... um, in, included in Section uh, 105H of the law, and uh, a big deal. These plant, these group HRAs were no longer permitted to reduce um, or to reimburse individual health plan premiums. That was fairly popular before 2013, and uh, effectively that that was done away with uh, under a group HRA arrangement. The QSE HRAs, the qualified small employer HRAs, which are which are uh, Um, you know, um, regulated under Internal Revenue Code Section 9831D, um, they were enacted as part of the CARES Act, signed into law in December 2016 and went into effect January 1st, 2017. Effectively it allows a small employer to reimburse the cost of an individual health plan premium under certain conditions and with annual Benefit limitations, and again, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. Uh, the QSEHRAs were heavily promoted by the small business associations, but I would not say that they have been widely accepted because there were a lot of limitations within the QSEHRA rules that that were not very attractive. Uh, then we have the ICHRAs, the individual coverage HRAs, which are which are uh, governed under. Uh, Treasury Code Section 54.9802-4, that's a long one there if you're into that stuff. Um, These were enacted by the Trump administration in 2019, and they went into effect in 2020. It is specifically now allows any sized employer to reimburse the cost of individual health plan premiums, but cannot offer a group health plan to that same class of employees. It's got to be one or the other, but not both. Uh, along with the ICHRAs came the uh, EBHRAs, Accepted Benefit HRAs, which are governed under Treasury Code Section 54.9831-1. These were, uh, again, part of the Trump administration's uh, activities here and went into effect in 2020. And these apply primarily to non-medical plans, you know, dental, vision, cancer, disability, accident, etc. cetera. Um, in in order to have them be uh, tax deductible. So that's just a quick overview of where we are today with regard to the four types of HRAs that are permitted. So now it's time for polling question number 1 um and and polling question number 1, Natalie, do you want to take it?
1: Yes.
0: HRAs, HSAs and FSAs are all permitted under Federal law, state law, both federal and state law, and neither federal or state law. And we have less than one minute to go.
1: Okay.
2: Oh, I forgot to I forgot to bring my Jeopardy music again this week. Sorry.
0: <laughs> it's okay. I'm
2: I'm not going to try and uh, whistle it because I'm I'm a terrible musician, so <laughs>
1: that would
2: probably cause more problems than I intended.
1: <laughs> no worries. So
2: are HRAs, HSAs, and FSAs permitted under federal, state, federal and state, or neither federal and state laws? How do we look on the polling?
0: We're going to wait about 10 more
2: seconds. Okay. And remember, you ha- you have to you have to give us an answer to show that you were uh, paying attention. <laughs>
0: For CE credits.
1: That's correct.
0: Okay. I'm going to go ahead and close the poll.
1: And how do we look?
0: And the results are 68% chose federal law.
2: Very good. Good class. All right. I'll move ahead here. So let's look into uh, the key differences between the four types of HRAs. That are now permitted by law, and the information that you're going to see, uh, I've, I've obtained, and our, t- our attorneys have obtained through uh, IRS and Treasury uh, publications. You can, you can download these publications yourself and read it for yourself. But if you like the, uh, the uh, Cliff Notes version that I'm going to give you, it's, it's probably uh, a lot more interesting. So here we go.
1: If we were going to
2: compare the four different types of HRAs and I put a color code in here because uh, I, I thought it was easier to, to, to follow, there are some key points that uh, that I would call to your attention. With regard to uh, employer eligibility, again, a, a group health uh, reimbursement arrangement, GHHRA, is available to any size of employers, whereas the QSEHRAs are only available to employers who are not considered to be an ALE, an applicable Large Employer, under the ACA, so that is an employer that has averaged uh, less than 50 employees per month in the prior calendar year. Uh, The ICHRA and the EBHRAs are available to any size of employer. Um, Of these plans, um, some of them have a requirement that you must offer a group health plan, and that would be true for a GHHRA. Whereas a QSEHRA says you cannot offer a group health plan to any employees. And I think that's one of the reasons why so many uh, small employers did not go after this because they, they, they did want to offer a group health plan. Um, the ICHRA, it's kind of interesting because the regulations for an ICHRA says you cannot offer a group health plan to the same class of employees. So what does that mean? So if I'm an employer, if I'm an employer and I've got 75 or 80 full-time employees, but I've got another 50 or 60 uh, part-time or seasonal workers, I can offer my group health plan to my full-time employees, but I could offer an ICHRA to my part-time or seasonal employees. In other words, I have a distinctive class and I can offer it to that class. You can't offer the same, uh, both a group health plan and an ICHRA to the same class of employees. Um, With an EBHRA, uh, the employer must offer a group health plan. I say offer, you don't have to necessarily enroll, and then you can offer an EBHRA, which is covered uh, for accepted benefits, which we'll talk about in a second. The contribution limits, and this is very important, uh, for the four types of HRAs are very different. In the case of a group HRA, the contribution limits are uh, defined by the employer, okay? They can have as as big as, or as small as uh, HRA benefit as they want. And I've seen them as small as $500 a year, and I've seen some as much as uh, $10,000 a year. So that's up to the employer to define it. In the case of a QSE HRA, uh, the IRS limits the uh, QSE HRA benefits to a specific amount in 2021 that amount was fifty three hundred dollars for a single person or ten thousand seven hundred dollars for an employee with family and this number is indexed annually and it's supposed to be announced in uh, november what that uh, 2022 numbers will be and my guess is that it'll be probably uh, uh fifty three hundred and fifty for a single and and maybe uh ten thousand seven uh, maybe $750 or, or maybe even $800 for a family. In the ICHRA, again, the employer defines a maximum contribution limit. And in the EBHRA, the current law limits an EBHRA benefit to $1,800 per plan year. It is also indexed annually, and it may or may not be increased. In this case, both 2020 and 2021 were the same limit of $1,800. So it's not necessarily so that, that it will go up next year. Then the question is, well, what are eligible expenses under these uh, four types of HRAs? Well, in in a broad sense, the group HRA, um, the employer can can have a defined uh, expense as being anything under IRS code section 213 guidelines, 213 d guidelines, which are things that are considered to be um, uh, medically necessary, right? Um, But again, because of uh, the ACA, You cannot include premiums for individual health plans under a group HRA arrangement. That was was taken out uh, after the ACA. Um, But but you'll find group uh, individual health plan premium as an eligible expense under uh, Code Section 213D. So you've got that slight uh, issue there, which caused a lot of problems with uh, employers uh, back in 2013. In, uh, in the QSEHRA, again, same definition: anything that is a, a, a 213d expense under the IRS rules, and you can include premiums for individual health plan coverage. That's why the QSEHRAs were created. Under the ICHRAs, again, same rule: any IRS Code Section 213d expense incurred during the QSE. Uh, um, I'm sorry, that's a mis- mistyping there. During the ICHRA coverage period, got to change that. Um, so that would include individual health plans, um, and then and then under the EBHRA, re- it reimburses any Code Section 213D expense, but not premiums for individual health plans, Medicare or non cobra group coverage, but premiums for accepted benefits only, like dental and vision. So those are. that's a, just a quick example of, of how those uh, compare there. Um, all four types of HRAs, the IRS requires that there be substantiation of expenses, which means you've got to provide the employer with a copy of the receipt uh, for the expense or a copy of the EOB that was issued by the carrier, showing that the expense was uh, paid out of pocket by you. The definition of eligible employees under these plans does also vary. In the case of a group HRA, the employee must be covered by the group HRA by the of a group health plan to be eligible. All employees must be treated the same, but special rules do may apply for age and family size. And the maximum waiting period, as you know, under the under the ACA is a, a 90 days. Under the QSE HRAs, all employees are eligible whether or not they have individual health plan coverage. Under the ICHRA, the employees must be covered by an individual health plan or Medicare to be eligible. Employees may be split into different classes, but employees in the same class must be treated the same. And special rules may apply for age and family size. And then finally, under the EBHRA, employees do not have to enroll in the group health plan to be eligible. That's kind of, it's very simple and kind of to the point. What about the definition of employee classes? We get asked this all the time, and so uh, this was this was provided by our attorney who did some research here. So, in a in typically in a group health uh, GH uh, HRA arrangement, the the typical definition of classes would be like uh, salaried versus hourly employees, or full time versus part time, seasonal versus temporary, uh, collectively bargained uh active versus retired employees there are retiree hras uh, that are available as well uh, it's it's pretty uh it, it it's pretty variable it's it's um uh, very open in that regard um uh, under a QSE hra uh, naturally they start out with well here are the categories that you can that are excluded uh, if they haven't completed 90 days of service if they're under age 25 if they're part-time, if they're seasonal, if they're collective bargaining, if they're non resident aliens. remember this was all put out by the Obama administration, and uh, they thought that that you know made sense, but uh, we've had a lot of uh, employers opt not to go down the QSEHRA uh, uh, route because of those excludable categories. Under the ICHRA plans, and you can you can have similar to what the the group uh, the group health plan uh, arrangements are. Salary, uh, salaried versus hourly full-time versus part-time seasonal temporary collectively bargain those who've not satisfied a waiting period or those who live in a specific geographic rating area which is uh which was kind of uh, interesting and, and and new and then um finally under the ebhra uh, full-time versus part-time geographic location collectively bargain uh by dates of hire by current or former uh employee status uh and the employee's uh, occupation uh, what their what their occupation is so there's allowed to be i think a little bit more um variation there the claim substantiation requirements i'm not going to spend a lot of time on this other than to say that you know if the irs is saying that you have to provide a substantiation of a claim that simply means that you know you, you need to send in a receipt you need to send in a copy of an eob or something uh, allowed for that. In the case of reimbursement of uh, uh, health insurance premiums under a QSEHRA or under an ICHRA, um, a copy of the bill from the carrier that you paid is generally considered to be uh, adequate proof. Um, So those are important. And and generally, if you're using a third-party administrator, like one of the five that we work with, uh, they uh, work with you to help see that the claim substantiation requirements are met. Um, the big thing that I think is important here is the tax savings, and, and this is why uh, HRAs are becoming so uh, uh, popular. Under, a, under a, GHA or a GHRA, the reimbursements that, that an employee gets from the GHRA are free from payroll and income tax. That's the bottom line. It's just like if they received a... A claim reimbursement from an insurance plan, the GHHRA is treated the same way. They they, they don't have to show that as taxable income. Um, Under a QSEHRA, very similar reimbursements are free from payroll and income tax, but only employees with minimum essential coverage can receive reimbursements free of income tax. Employees without MEC coverage must report all QSEHRA reimbursements is taxable income. So if you, so if you're in, enrolled in an individual health plan that provides minimum essential coverage, then boom, you get you get reimbursements uh, free of tax taxable income. But uh, if you're not enrolled in a plan that provides minimum essential coverage, at least a a mec, then uh, that's going to be you can get reimbursed, but you're going to have to report that as income. I, I think again, I think that was a reason why. Uh, QSEHRAs are not as popular as they thought. Again with the case of an ICHRA or an EBHRA, reimbursements are free from payroll and income tax. Uh, All four plans are subject to ERISA requirements. So all four plans do have disclosures and notices, uh, either a summary plan description or a summary of benefits and coverage or what we call special notices that are required under the law to go out to uh, the uh, employees uh, notifying them of the availability of uh, a QSE or an ICHRA uh, cobra um, cobras uh, I think pretty simple um, all of these plans except for a QSEHRA are subject to cobra if the employer has 20 or more employees um, I don't see a lot of employees uh, opting for for um, uh, a COBRA coverage on a group uh, HRA, it kind of doesn't make a lot of sense if you think about it. If they're funding it and then they're getting the money back, it's like, um, where are you going with that? Um, uh, most of these plans have a, 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 a non-discrimination requirement under Section 105 h um, It does apply, but there, but there is some variation in the ICHRA rules that allow for uh, different uh, Reimbursement levels by classes, and those classes have to be non-discriminatory. So uh, that and that makes sense. Uh, we get asked a lot about, you know, can these uh, plans be offered alongside of a, a cafeteria plan? And uh, with uh, with regard to uh, a GHHRA, that's not a problem. Uh, it's done all the time. Uh, it's not really available under a QSEHRA because uh, the employer is not offering a cafeteria plan. Uh, In the case of an ICHRA, any uh, IFP premium amounts that exceed what's reimbursed under that plan could be run through a Section 125 plan. So, for example, the employer says, I'm going to reimburse you up to $500 a month for your IFP premiums, but yet I've got an employee over here whose premium is $650 a month. So they could, uh, the employer can set up a cafeteria plan to say that that $150 that's not being reimbursed under the, IF, uh, under the ICHRA could be in fact run through as a pre-tax expense under section 10, uh, 125. Um, however, uh, if that uh, that's only if the IFP is purchased uh, off exchange. Um, so, and, and then, because the ICHRA is considered a type of group health plan, a health FSA could be offered alongside of an ICHRA. Uh, Similar similar, um, issues with an EBHRA, uh, you've got uh, premium amounts in excess of the uh, cap can be run through a a Section 125. A couple of other quick things, uh, cash outs, of any unused amounts, they're not permitted under any of the, the plans. If I've given a, a, a $1,000 a year uh, HRA benefit and I don't use the benefit, uh, I'm not allowed to cash it out and take take the difference as cash. That that belongs to the employer and that's why they're doing this. Uh, in terms of carrying over unused amounts, that is permitted. If an employer sets that up in their plan document, they say, hey, I'll, I'll uh, reimburse you up to $1,000 a year and what you don't use uh, can roll over and increase in the second year. And so that is permitted. I don't see a lot of employers doing that, but some some do, and and that's uh, that's good to know. And then finally, uh, we get asked all the time about health savings account HSA contributions. And the question and the answer is, well, in a group HRA, yes, uh, you can do that. If the HRA reimburses only dental, vision, and preventive care or post-deductible expenses. So in other words, if you've got a medical HRA that's reimbursing for out-of-pocket medical costs, you cannot also have an HSA. So it's only if the HRA is limited um, to uh, non-medical expenses. Uh, Same thing uh, with regard to um, uh, the HRA on on a uh, QSE HRA. Uh, it's likely yes, uh, although I, I don't know of any that's being done this way under the ICHRA, um, if it reimburses only the individual health plan premiums and certain accepted benefits. Um, so that's that's kind of an indication there. As as a general rule, I tell people, look, if you're enrolled in an HSA, you cannot double dip and also be uh, in an HRA. You can't you can't do both. But if you have a specialty HRA that covers non-medical things, and yes, there's a way to do that. And then finally, the, the one that um, uh, comes up a lot are what we call salary reduction funding. This is where, like in a, in a Section 125 plan, somebody takes a, a voluntary reduction of their salary in order to pay their um, premiums on a pre-tax basis, like a POP plan, right? So with regard to an HRA, uh, technically, the uh, a group HRA, uh, they do not permit uh, salary reduction funding. In other words, the employer uh, funds the entire cost of the HRA, uh, but it can be offered alongside of, a, of an FSA uh, program or a Section 125 uh, premium-only plan for their shares of premiums. Alternatively, and this is where the, the term MERP comes in, uh, the employer can set up a medical expense reimbursement plan, or a MERP, and that can be offered, and it does allow for employee contributions. So, the HRA is, is, can, uh, is fully paid by the employer, but the MERP can be co-funded by both the employer and the employee, and that's, uh, that's, that's an issue to look at. As far as salary uh, reduction funding for the other types of HRAs, for the most part, it's it's not permitted, uh, but again, you can offer them alongside of an FSA or a POP plan. Okay. I, I just went through a lot of stuff and I, I know, uh, you know, that, that's a lot of uh, information here. And again, I encourage you to download a copy of this so you have that uh, chart uh, on your desk.
1: Uh, let's go to polling question number two, Natalie. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay. I okay. Um, yeah. the question reads:
0: I see HRAs, EBHRAs were approved under the Biden administration, the Trump administration, the Obama administration, or none of the above?
2: This is a this is a real quickie here. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And we have about
2: 30 more seconds to go, and I will close up the poll. All right. So who who, uh, who is responsible for uh, uh, introducing ICHRAs and EBHRAs? Uh, Biden, Trump, Obama,
1: or none of them? Uh, somebody said, well, maybe you we should put Reagan on here and people like that. I, uh, Probably not. Yeah. Probably not. All right. And this is an opportunity for me to, to drink my tea here. All right, how we doing? Okay, Natalie, how how are we looking for uh, our polls? Sorry about that. Okay. Sorry about that. We had
0: a little... um,
2: Technical glitch.
0: Yes, but we're back online and 66% said the Trump administration
2: okay very good thank you no problem all right so now uh i'd like to i'd like to look at a a case study on a group hra we 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 try to do an example that's uh based on real life and, and practical so uh here's a case study that we did on a small employer uh group they had 39 employees with 17 dependent units located over in the greater bay area of northern california They currently offer fully insured coverage with a dual choice between uh, a single carrier's HMO and PPO plans. So, they were getting their uh, coverage through a a particular carrier that offered both an HMO and a PPO dual choice. Uh, They're in the small group market and their rate increase for 1-1 of 2022 uh, averages about 7% overall between the HMO and the PPO plans. Um, they like the current benefits and their provider networks. They offer they they're they're happy with the providers they can access through the HMO or the PPO, but uh, they will pay over four hundred thousand dollars in annual premium. And uh, what the owner uh, told uh, his agent was that's double about that's almost double of what they were paying six years ago. And he just said, I you know I, we we just can't keep keep up with this. Uh, the employer. Uh, pays 100 percent of the employee-only coverage and contributes about 50 percent to the cost of dependent coverage, which is, uh, I think, very generous in in this market. So what do the numbers look like? Again, uh, the current plan, fully insured dual choice. The proposed plan was a group HRA wrapped with a high deductible uh, HMO and a high deductible PPO plan option, um, which um, turned out to be uh, really good. Uh, The benefit description of their current plan: they have a uh, uh, an HMO plan with a $25 copay, 20% coinsurance, and a $3,000 maximum out-of-pocket per year. Very rich plan. I would call that a a platinum plan. Their PPO plan also very rich with a $500 deductible, 20% coinsurance, and a $4,000 maximum out-of-pocket. And their estimated annual cost: $423,680 for employees, and dependents. Um, The proposed plan would move them to an HMO plan that had a $5,000 deductible, uh, 60-40 coinsurance, and a $7,500 out-of-pocket limit. The PPO plan would be a $6,500 deductible, 70-30 coinsurance, and a $7,500 maximum out-of-pocket limit. The premium, the annual cost of that high deductible plan came in at $298,208 a year. Um, the proposed HRA benefit that the employer um, is, uh, looked at was to offer everybody, if they were single, a $3,000 annual uh, HRA benefit using a, a, a debit card to and preloaded it so they, they get a $3,000 benefit up front um, and $6,000 benefit if they have family coverage. So if everybody used their full benefit, if everybody got if everything went wrong that could go wrong, the employer could be out spending $168,000 in paid claims. That's that's you know every employee incurred a $3,000 um uh, expense in the year and those with families incurred a $6,000 expense. So $168,000 was their maximum liability. However, um we we sat down with the employer and said look based on our based on your plan design based, based on the history that we have on these plans we believe that your actual expense will be seventy seven thousand two hundred dollars and we walked them through uh how how we looked at claims uh from from other clients and and where they came in and the demographics of their group and and we're we're pretty good at, at predicting these uh, expected paid claims numbers based on history that that we have um, so we said your your projected paid claim costs are going to be 77,200 your administrative fees which include a uh, fees to pay the broker was about $16,200 a year so your projected annual cost for the HRA 391,608 which is of course a little bit less than what they're going to pay at their renewal so um and they, and they were looking at about a 7% rate increase on their on their renewal so the, the, the question is well why do this why why would the employer do this and and here are the here are the things that we're clearly hearing from employers like this first they like the idea that they can reduce their fixed costs from 100 cents on the dollar to about 65 cents on the dollar that helps improve their cash flow because they set up their HRA claims on a pay-as-you-go funding. In other words, they only pay for the HRA claims when they come in, Uh, they don't prepay them. Some employers can, but in this case, these guys are are gonna go on a pay-as-you-go funding arrangement. Uh, Second is that it nets their annual savings um, of about 7.5% in the first year, which when you think about it is nearly a 14% difference in cost when compared to their renewal. And that's um, uh, that to me is is uh, a big number, uh, you know, 14% overall. It provides the employer with claims data that they're not getting now, and this is a big, big deal. You understand that when they go into an HRA plan, they're now going to get claims data on their people. Uh, that's not to say that they're going to, you know, share that with everybody, but at least if I'm an employer and I'm sponsoring this plan. I, I want to know what my claims are about, and you know where my people are going, and and you know the kind of conditions we have, so that we can have the right type of benefit design. Which is the fourth point, and that is that allows the employer to fully customize their HRA benefit. Um, again, some HRAs are very broad; they cover just about everything. Others are very narrow, so they can customize their HRA benefit. Their, their cost of third-party administration and broker fees are less than 5% of their total uh, HRA plan costs, um, and, and in this case, they, they're offering their people an HRA app to, to submit their claims, so they take a picture of the claim and it goes into the TPA. Uh, they're going to get an HRA debit card for claim payment when they go into the, the, uh, the, the doctor's office or to the, the, the drug counter. Uh, they'll use their HRA debit card to pay for their claim, and then it provides the employer with monthly spending reports, with monthly reports showing what their claims are like and where the how the money is being used. Um, there is an option for employer excess loss insurance that can limit the overall claims exposure until a good claims history is established, and we have some employers that buy that in the first or second year because they are not sure where their claims will be, so they buy. This optional excess loss coverage, and then finally, and and possibly the biggest thing here was that there are no change of providers. They they're going to stay with the same carrier and provider network that they have now. They're just going to switch to these high deductible plans, yeah. and uh, save uh, save quite a bit of money. So you know nobody got upset about having to change doctors or hospitals or that kind of stuff. And that's that's a good thing. So then the question is, well, why would an employer consider an ICHRA. And um, again, you have to look back at at what was going on after the ACA. The the ICHRA and the EBHRA plans are just beginning to fit into the employee benefits market today. Uh, These can be attractive to both large and small employers. I thought originally that really it was just going to be the small guys that didn't want to offer a group health plan. But what we're seeing now is that larger employers that have a a population of employees, especially after this COVID uh, disaster, uh, they want to attract uh, part-time and seasonal workers to to come to work for them. And so putting them in an ICHRA is a good option. Uh, I will tell you that the Trump administration worked for two years to formulate these into real-life solutions for any size of employer, unlike the the QSEHRA, which was just strictly for small employers and had a lot of uh, had a lot of um, limits to it. It makes sense now that we have a guaranteed issue coverage in the individual market, and of course we're all used to that now after seven years. And then uh, it it also helps the employers to have a a better creation of employee classes because that's that's very important to offer coverage to the employees who've not had access to group coverage in the past. So again, I I think of part-time people, I think of seasonal workers, um, and, and those that are not eligible for a group plan, now an ICHRA can provide them with a benefit, uh, that class of employee, that um, is, is a tax-free benefit. So um, I, I, I went to a, a, a couple of seminars on ICHRAs, and what I came back with was this. Uh, one is that the employer has more financial control and predictability than under a traditional group plan you've got the employers got a fixed financial contribution per each employee and they and they avoid these annual premium increases that they're becoming very frustrated over so you know hey we're going to reimburse you 500 a month and, and and if your premiums go up we're sorry but that's what we have in our budget is 500 a month okay fine the tax advantages to the employer and employees the contributions as i said before they don't count towards the employees taxable wages that's That's a good thing. Um, Offering health benefits to part-time and hourly uh, employees where you've got classifications that separate full-time and and, uh, from the full-time employees and allows for a a more flexible contribution. Simple administration, the employee submits bills to the third-party administrator who handles the the payments. So, you know, if if I get a bill from my insurance company each month, I take a picture of that bill on on my phone I send it at the app, I send it into the TPA, and that that justifies it. And I and I get my reimbursement payment. Um, the employees then choose and own their own health plan. You've got the flexibility here for them to select a, a portable individual plan that works best for them, as opposed to the plan that maybe the employer says everybody's gonna be enrolled in, you know, this carrier or that carrier. And the employee says, Well, I don't like those carriers, they don't have my doctor in them, so they get a an individual plan that has their doctor in it and they're, they're happy with that. And then finally, uh, the ICHRA, there's no maximum contribution per employee class. The employers can contribute different amounts to different employee types with no cap. Um, compare that to the QSEHRA, where you've got this annual limit of $5,300 for a single and $10,700 for a family. And we all know that there's a lot of insurance plans out there, especially for older employees, that cost well more than $5,300. And so this uh, allows the employer to say, you know, I, I, I don't have to put a cap on this. And I think that's why ICHRAs are are outperforming um, the QSEHRAs. So uh, let me kind of come to some conclusions here, because I know we're we're coming up on an hour here, and I want to leave some time for for questions. Um, what to expect in the future. Well, what this is what I know. Um, it appears that the Biden administration is solid behind a continuation of the Affordable Care Act. They're, they're not going to go down the, the path of single payer. And um, it appears to me from, from my contacts at NAHU that they're telling me that the Biden administration uh, appears to maintain support of HRAs as an alternative for businesses to cover more people, especially for part-time and seasonal workers, so uh, the, they probably just don't want to admit that the, the the Trump administration actually had a good idea here. And all that political BS aside, uh, I think a lot of people that say if if there's a way to get businesses to pay for coverage for for individual people, uh, we like that and um, if they're buying their coverage out of the uh, uh an exchange out of a marketplace uh, that's good too so it all kind of you know makes sense in that regard um the treasury department issued uh hra regulations after a painstaking process of getting buy-in from the various stakeholders in in this issue and they're not anxious to frankly change the existing rules as they apply to hras in other words they're They're not being told by the Biden administration or by Congress, hey, we need to fix these or change them. Um, In spite of what you may hear on TV and cable uh, channels, uh, I don't think the Treasury Department wants to go down that path. Um, We should expect that the feds are gonna continue to hold tight to the regulation of HRAs, even though some states would like to regulate them, uh, and, and Congress is not gonna wanna turn over regulation of these types of plans to the states there there are a few that might but you know with the democrats in charge uh, obviously they like things to be controlled at the federal level and the republicans are not crazy about about um you know having additional regulatory uh things done at the state level to duplicate what might be going on at the federal level so i think it's it's pretty good to assume that HRA regulation will continue to be done at the federal level, which is probably good. Um, the employer market continues to respond to rising health insurance premiums by adopting these methods of alternative funding. And, and if you've attended one of my seminars in the past, you know that I'm I'm real big on alternative funding because it it provides employers with options that they just don't see in the traditional fully insured market. And so uh, and that includes the establishment of group and individual HRA programs for both full-time and part-time people. So it's a a good way to extend coverage to uh, other classes of people that may not have been eligible in the past. And given the current status of the labor market where employers are trying desperately to get people to come back to work and stuff, uh, I think that's a a big deal. I think you'll see more of it. And then finally, uh, I would say that you know the carriers have developed competitively priced high deductible products um, and, and they've eased off on their earlier prohibitions against wrapping. Uh, there is, some of that's going on in some other states, but here in California, uh, we just don't see those prohibitions like we used to. Um, and, and so uh, they're allowing an HRA to be wrapped with their high deductible health plans. I, I will tell you that I think the majority of carriers basically say, if you're going to do it, uh, we don't want to be responsible for it. Don't don't tell us about it. Um, you know that's up to the employer to uh, to do. But but we don't we don't want to be involved with it. And and that's okay. I'm you know I, I as long as they allow it and don't prohibit it, I think that's that's good. I think our last polling question is, before we go into Q and A's is polling question number three. Natalie.
0: Hi, Dave, I just launched the polling question.
1: So okay.
0: polling question is, and I apologize, my computer is the one having um, technical difficulties. So if I fade in and out, please forgive me. Yeah. Um, but the question is, the future for HRA plans looks dim because the Supreme Court may abolish them, true or false? And we have about 30 more seconds and we're going to go ahead and close the poll.
2: Okay. Do we want to go ahead and uh, start taking some questions?
0: Um, yes, the first question is, how small of a company is this good for five employees? 10, 15, 20, 25, or what is a normal minimum number?
2: I I would say that uh, I, I have seen, uh, certainly seen groups down to 10 that are doing HRA successfully. All right. Um, I've seen a few with between five and 10, and a lot depends on what their premium rates look like for a traditional plan versus the savings they would generate for uh, a high deductible plan. But um, as long as you have that 25% or more difference in premium between, say, a platinum or gold plan and a bronze plan, I, I think it could be feasible. The other issue that you need to be aware of is that uh, HRAs uh, generally are are available to employees but if you're in a uh, if you're in an S corp or a partnership or sole proprietor uh, you cannot enroll the individual or the owner in an HRA it's got to be for the benefit of the employees only that's not true for a C corp so you've got smaller businesses that are S corps or partnerships or whatever it might be an issue for the owners and that's a, that's a tax uh, law that's that's not uh, anything to do with hra law how are we uh how are we looking on the polling numbers
0: um i'm going to quote and close the poll and 96 <laughs>
2: percent so, all right good. good good all right more questions
0: yes the next question is do you have an hra case study on a large group
2: yes be happy to be happy to uh, share that with you uh the the numbers are are fairly um, uh, uh, the same, but if you're talking about a group of of say over fifty, yes we have we have several case studies we can show you, and as far as a group of over one hundred uh, we actually have uh, more case studies on that but I'm happy to do it if you
1: contact me directly i'm I'm happy to um, send you over i'll I'll send you a redacted version of that. next question. Sounds like we're having more. Uh, I know,
0: yes, I'm so sorry. It's, it's, okay. it's um, direct TV, I'm not really sure what's going on with the internet today, um, yeah. but yes. The next question, oh, I did receive a couple questions. I'm gonna be sending you a copy of the presentation as well as a link to the recording. Um, but the next question is, before my audio cuts off again, do you need a MR, MERP if you offer more than one group HRA plan design?
2: Say that again. Do you Do you, do you need, need a,
0: a MERP M E R P if you yeah. offer more than one group H R A plan design?
2: No, no. That the the issue of a MERP is whether or not you're going to require employee contributions. So we have employers that offer uh, more than one H R A plan design, like uh, you know a a basic plan with a thousand dollar benefit, a standard plan with a twenty five hundred dollar benefit, and a premier plan with a four or five thousand dollar benefit and they'll call them an HRA if the employer is fully funding those plans and doesn't require employee contributions. Where they will call them a MERP is if they say we want the employees to contribute towards part of the cost of that plan, then they'll they'll file it as a as a MERP plan, not as an HRA, because MERPs do allow for employee contributions. But you can have multiple uh, plans being offered so so the answer would be you could have an hra plan that has no employee contribution required
1: and you could offer a merck plan that that does okay
0: next question can employers add money if employees complete qualifiers like joining a gym or if they take a risk health assessment and such
2: um That's an interesting question. Um, Paying for gym memberships, um, I I believe, is allowed under Section 213 d of the Internal Revenue Code. I I haven't looked at it lately to see if it's been changed, but the last time I looked, gym memberships uh, were a reimbursable expense. That's why you see so many of them on wellness programs. So that answer is is yes, you can do that. Um, What was the second part of the question,
1: though? Read, read it one more time i oh it's actually not here anymore i'm sorry oh,
0: okay. um, sorry. i apologize um but we actually have a couple um another question and okay. um, i'm sorry for someone who's asking yes the the hour is actually up these are these are we're going over a little bit just because people have some questions that they would like to be answered Um, But the next question is, if employees pay 100% of dependents cost, how does an employer charge for HRA exposure to HRA claims for dependents?
2: Read that one more time.
0: If the employees employees pay 100% of dependents costs, how does the employer charge for HRA exposure to HRA claims for dependents?
2: um hmm i i think the answer is is that you have to consider it this way the the HRA and the high deductible health plan are two separate plans okay so if the employer is saying i'm paying i, I i'm not paying for the cost of the dependents under the high deductible health plan i'm just paying for the cost of the employee and then they want to offer a um an HRA plan in which uh, they pay the full cost of the benefit offered to both the employee and the dependents, they can choose to do that. Or if they say, I I want the employee to um, contribute uh, to the, the HRA cost for the cost of their dependents, and in doing that, they would probably need to set that up as a MERC, since you're asking for an employee contribution i will tell you that like in the example that we gave earlier in that particular case the employer said i'm going to pay 100 of the of the three thousand dollar benefit for the single employee or the six thousand dollar benefit for the employee with dependents and and then what you what you do is that the employer basically says i'll pay those claims as they come in but i'm not pre-funding them so, um, it is possible to do that both with and without an employee contribution. It's really up to the employer to decide because it's the employer who will benefit. If, if the claims don't come in and there's a savings, the employer, you know, takes, uh, gets the full benefit of that. I, I don't know if that really answers the question and if I miss the target on that, I apologize. Next question. Sounds like we're gonna end up dropping off here. So, um, and 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 I think Natalie has the same issue I do. I have a bandwidth issue sometimes when I'm working out of my home office, and I'm gonna have to upgrade my internet. So, um, if 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 anybody does have a particular question and they'd like to reach out to me, you could see up on the screen my my email address and my phone number. i happy to chat with you individually if uh, you wanted a uh, an example of how a large group HRA works—a uh, case study. Uh, give me a contact, and I'll, I'll be happy to um, share that with you. Uh,
1: if that's if that's it, um, I think I'm done.